shame can be a way to like modify your behavior to modify your thinking right like you are bad therefore stop being bad so like to sit with my shame long enough that it was telling me like i don't want to be bad i don't want you to be bad so maybe a way that my shame was doing that was by telling me how bad i was and how flawed and irreparably broken i was i kind of was able to go through and learn that like okay so my truth is that i I don't want to be, my system doesn't want me to be bad, but the way in which I'm going about it is causing me so much pain. The implicit messaging all the time that I'm bad, I'm flawed, I'm something to be discarded was killing me. But like clinically, it's just, I find that if you're with a protector long enough or you're with the suffering long enough, you kind of get a through line to parts of the self that really need you, that need like kind of the adult self, the self that's like, inherently so connected with something larger than ourselves, whether that's the community or a higher power, needs that. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. I'm your host, Nicole Ingram. And I'm your host, Hannah Warren. Welcome back, friends. This is the third episode of our spirituality series, and today Hannah and I get to sit down with therapist and on-site guide, Caroline Bravo. It was such a treat to share space with Caroline, and I think you are going to have the same experience. She is a super special human, extremely grounded and sturdy, and she helps people in her orbit experience this same rootedness. It is pretty safe to say we are huge fans of Caroline. In this conversation, she unpacks some of the ways shame interplays with spirituality and teases out the role of suffering in the human experience. Caroline speaks from a place of deep wisdom and shares some really helpful practical tools to help us generate self-compassion and fortify the spiritual self on the path to healing. I can't wait to dive back into this conversation. So without further ado, please welcome Caroline Bravo. Hey friends, I am so excited to welcome back our friend, Caroline Bravo. You may recognize her. She's been a guest on the podcast before, but she is personally one of my favorite therapists to walk the face of this planet. I told her earlier today that I wish I could recommend everyone I know to her. And I also wish I kind of didn't know her personally so I could go see her as a client. (laughs) So I believe that this next uh, hour or so that we get to share together, I know it will be such a gift and a treat to me. and And I believe it will be for our listeners too, because you are such a gift to our community, Caroline, and I'm just so excited to be spending some time with you today. Hannah, thank you. You make me feel so good. You make me feel so welcome, and I'm really, really excited to talk to you guys, too. I think we're going to have a really nice conversation. Caroline, I'm so thrilled to meet you. I've heard nothing but, like, truly those kinds of things about you, just wonderful, wonderful things, and so I can't wait to dig into the topic of spirituality with you today. So thanks for being here. Yeah. So listeners, to clue you in on a little bit of my energy and maybe some of my co-host's energy right now is we are all in the same building because we came together to do this podcast live and in person today, which is such a treat. And then as it happens, technology has failed us. And so you are hearing us from one place, but we are coincidentally in different rooms in the same building. So... We are together in spirit, and uh, I could wave at them. Hi, waving at you Hi. from across the from across the office. So that's a little bit about where we're coming in today. But like Nicole said, I'm super excited to dive into the topic of spirituality today. We have been kind of doing this series of the podcast on living centered in spirituality, and I don't know about you guys, but spirituality is like kind of a big concept, and I get a little nervous exploring it on the podcast because it means something really different to everyone, and it can be something that is so life-giving and so safe, and it can also be something that can represent a lot of pain for people. And so I love that we're talking about this on the podcast, but it also makes me a little nervous Mm. about exploring it together. But when we were kind of talking about this topic, we thought you, Caroline, would be such a perfect person to kind of wade through both that safety and that life-giving and that sphere and shame and all of all of the factors that kind of come with spirituality. Uh, Caroline, can you kick us off by just kind of sharing a little bit about yourself? Our, our listeners may be familiar with you um, 
and your connection to onsite. But if you just want to share a little bit about who you are, kind of where you're coming from today, and then we can kind of jump into what spirituality is looking like in your life. Yes. Thank you for that nice intro. So I'm Caroline. I am a sister and a wife and a pet owner and a friend. And then I get the privilege of being a therapist here in Nashville. I have a practice with a bunch of other on-site therapists in East Nashville. And so I get to do that work in my private practice and I work with individuals and couples. And then I have this very distinct privilege of working out on site where um, I just continue to feel so privileged to be able to learn and work there. And outside of that, just to kind of touch on what you mentioned a moment ago, when you guys reached out to me to process and have a conversation around spirituality, I had my own stuff come up, which is Interesting because I love talking about spirituality and the self, the spiritual self, but also my shame kind of took the form of saying, who are you to talk about something you are still in in process with? Because if you're going to talk about this, it needs to be perfectly packaged and you need to have it all figured out. And so I had to like sit with myself and, and kind of like reconstruct, well, then what is it, if not perfection and fear that you want to communicate? And I think I just want to communicate like the permission for all of us to be in process with a relationship with spirituality or, or a higher power as we know it. Yeah, I love that. That is like such a good way to start for all of us because I think we all can relate to that. And I think that also like so much of what we do on the Loving Center podcast is wanting to like strip away the misnomers about mental health and emotional health and spiritual health and all of that. And I think even having our guides and our therapists on the podcast, you know, people think like therapists have all the answers or they like have all their shit together or whatever. And like y'all are still people in process too in all of these areas. And as a, as a human, that encourages me that like we can come alongside and be a resource for people, for ourselves, for growth, even when we're not arrived, quote unquote, you know, like we're never fully there in any area of our lives. And so how we can still show up and yeah, like help ourselves and help others on their journeys by just being honest with where we're at, you know? I think it's really nice for you. I I find it very refreshing that you're framing our conversation with this idea of like spirituality is fluid. Like there is not an end destination. This is ongoing day to day, month to month, all the things. And I love that. That feels so vulnerable and authentic and sincere for you to start out by saying like, I'm not necessarily the authority on this <laughs> topic. Like I am, I'm in it. So thank you for kind of just like getting us on the right footing to have this conversation. And I would love to know. So this is where you are now. Can you tell us a little bit about your spiritual background as a child, if that feels like a, a safe place to start? And if it doesn't, you let us know and we can we can shift gears. But I would love to hear kind of like where you've been before we, we talk about the here and now. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So I was thinking about how to do this and I, I thought maybe a, a good, like um, what framed my spiritual path was kind of what I learned in my nuclear family. And so I was raised with uh, essentially by a single mom and my brother. And I, I didn't grow up in a particularly faith-based family. But one thing that my mom did a really miraculous job teaching uh, and modeling for my brother and I was two main things, was compassion. I think taking the form of, of um, trying your best to be relationally self-aware and then my mom did, also did a really good job uh, instilling this sense of like curiosity and questioning being a very important thing to keep you safe. Hmm. So um, as early as I can remember, that was kind of like the, the formative values that were kind of established in our house. And then so when my parents divorced, we, my mom, my brother and I moved up to a really small town in Northwestern PA and we we're new, so we didn't have community. And so a way in which you could exist in a community in the small town was to attend church. And so uh, attending church and kind of like before moving to Pennsylvania and Florida, that wasn't something that I can remember ever doing. And so attending church and feeling very excited, I can picture little me feeling very excited at the idea of there being this loving, omnipresent force that was there to support me. 
So that always felt very good. But then I can remember, I have distinct memories of being in Sunday school and um, being this like curious little girl who loved animals. And there's one particular story of learning about the ark. And I, I was an avid Animal Planet watcher. And so I, I had like an understanding probably around 10 of like how many species of animals there were. And so learning about the ark and learning how, how many species they were able to get on the ark, all of the species in the world, and questioning to the youth group leader, how did they do that? Because there's millions of species. And, and so coming in with all of these questions and what I can remember being met with was like two things, was either a, like a non-response, which kind of felt like having questions, but maybe not being affirmed. And my questions like, wow, you're really, you're really considering these things. And then I think also one of the things I, I was met with in this particular youth group was this idea of my questioning being something that meant I was void of something else, so void of faith. And so then there was this projection of your questioning is something that is flawed, like represents that there's something void within you. And that just not totally feeling great. And so my mom, just being pretty open to um, over the years following just me kind of fading away from the church that we would go to. And long story short, just kind of like, like later on in life, finding Buddhism as just kind of a way to uh, understand myself and understand the mind and it not particularly feeling like a spiritual practice. Nowadays, it more so does. So I found Buddhism and then now in this phase in my life, kind of like reintegrating a relationship with spirituality and higher power from 12-step programs. That's kind of like the really general yeah. uh, story of where I came from. Oh, that's great. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I love that picture of you as a little girl, like even feeling presence of like loving that, even if we look at it from a parental like standpoint, like just loving this being that was like wanting good for you, you know? So I love that. That's such a, I feel that like the, even right now, like the little child in me wants that, like a safety and a, um, spa a space to question and be curious. And I love that you said your mom kind of framed compassion and curiosity as uh, kind of your framework for understanding spirituality. And it makes me just really grateful because that's how I experience you, but also really want to implement those values more into my life because if we all approach spirituality with a little bit more compassion and a little bit more curiosity, what type of expansiveness is out there for us? So I think that's a really, really beautiful framework for us to jump into. Um, I'm really curious. You said that when you were questioning, you know, you felt like maybe something was wrong or lacking in you for questioning or that was kind of the perceived notion that that adult kind of made you feel. And then as you kind of shifted to towards Buddhism and even you saying like, I, I didn't first to really approach it as a spirituality practice, more of kind of a, you kind of talked about it intellectually and things like that. Uh, how was that thinking like in spirituality, I'm not allowed to question. How did that kind of inform like maybe spirituality isn't for me right now. Maybe I'll approach it in a totally different way. I'll just approach it in a more intellectual way. Like how did that inform you wanting to move forward in your own spiritual sense? Oh my goodness. That's such a good, that's a very good reflection of, yeah, because at that, see, this is why I love coming on this podcast is because it's like me being in therapy and like getting to put <laughs> together some pieces that I really said, Yeah. So that's kind of what happened is that, um, spirituality then didn't feel safe because the message that I received was that part of me, the part of me that keeps me safe. Some of my earliest memories of my mom loving me and asking me when I would come home, how's your day? How are you feeling? Let me know more about that. You know, what's, what's up with that? Just curiosity then becoming this thing that was representative of me being inherently flawed in some way. And so I think when I think about 10-year-old self, that's when the seeds of maybe shame and, yeah, the seeds of shame being planted. So because that's like when I think about what what is the voice of shame, the voice of shame for me is that I'm irreparably broken. So then I think that 
Buddhism became this way to understand, kind of like to put spirituality like right over here, and we'll maybe maybe get to that, or we'll because uh, I because I knew also what it felt like to feel connected to something to great something greater than myself, just not from the Christian framework yet. But uh, I needed a like a moral framework, like a way in which I could better understand like how to conduct myself. And my mom laid a really good framework for that. But then Buddhism became this way to understand myself, understand in particular my suffering, the ways in which that I suffer, and then what to do, what to do with that suffering. Can you say a little more about that? I think suffering just as an idea, right, is I think we all understand it. I think you sharing the fact that spirituality and shame have even been tied together for you feels so, that feels like a universal, unfortunately, right? Like spirituality can be this great healer, but also I think so many of us have so much wounding. And so in this moment, like you using, you moving from a place of Buddhism as a moral framework and and like a system of accountability into this place where you're actually like generating compassion for yourself. Like what, what does that look like? So kind of like what we know about wounds, trauma, is that they're cumulative. They kind of like stack on top of each other. So to go back even before my relationship with the church and that youth group was that that the primary wound of abandonment as it relates to my father, some people receive like explicit shame, right? To like hear verbally that you are not enough. That isn't necessarily part of my story, but my father not being in the picture, implicitly I received, you know, young, young self that kind of looked, only had the capacity to look at the world from this like kind of lens of egocentrism, because that's what kids do, was it, I am something to be left. So that like was, I think, made what happened in the church for me that much worse. And the, the messaging I got in the church that much, much worse because the seeds have, had already been sowed. So then shame kind of becoming this lens in which I viewed myself and then therefore the world. And then kind of getting older and my shame building in a way that I had to medicate away from it because it was so great in my body. And what I loved about a Buddhist practice was that they're like, of course you have shame. Like we don't have to necessarily uh, question the validity of your shame. Your, Your suffering is right here. And the way through the suffering is to first notice it which is an incredibly painful process just to notice that it's here and the things that it's telling me and the ways in which it's making me perceive the world. And then um, the other half of that is so to notice it and then hold it, like care for it because it isn't something evil and it isn't something that is a testament to me being broken or flawed or sinful. It's a testament to my wounds. And so what do wounds need? Wounds need love and to be held. And it kind of gave me through like a stillness practice, it gave me the opportunity to be with them rather than run for them or seek healing outside of myself. Yeah, that's so powerful. I think I, in my experience of spirituality, when I had suffering of any sorts, the two routes that I knew to do were I was kind of told to like, let go and let God, like let God take care of it. Give your (laughs) worries to him. And then the other route was to like pray for healing or pray for it to go away. And neither of those routes taught me how to sit with it and how to let it be a teacher. And I think from my first conversation with you about Buddhism, that's what I really took away was that like so many of us are so uncomfortable with pain and sorrow and grief and like our lives are immensely filled with pain and sorrow and grief and where it's really inescapable and I know like I'm feeling that a lot right now like and I'd be remiss not to talk about that as like a culture and a community in our current state and even in our current state of Nashville like we are we have this grief and pain and sorrow 
And so many of us try to bypass it or minimize it or cover it up, like you mentioned with medicators. And there's so much beauty. I wish I had learned younger to like be able to say, like be able to sit in it. And I'm like, I'm a kid who had giant feelings. I like, I feel, I still am a kid with giant feelings, but I just, I feel really big. I feel really large. And like, I, that was like not okay. That was okay if it was like a happy feeling, but really not okay if it was like a sad feeling. So I just like learned to, you know, shove that down. And so what, I'm curious from your lens of therapy and and being able to like therapeutically practice this with people, like, can you help us understand like why we need to suffer, why we need to grieve, why we need to sit in that process in order to move forward to heal? Our suffering is, or our pain, our wounds, our trauma, are things to be cared for, right? Like, um, and one of the ways that like, at least in my clinical work that I like to frame this is just as if we have these protectors. So like a lot of suffering that people may engage with are like this, let's just say it will kind of go in like the more less intense end of the spectrum of like the part of them that gets distracted easily. And then on the more intense end of the spectrum of let's say like a medicator, like a chemical, like a dependency to like a chemical medicator, like alcohol or opiates. So the suffering is a testament to something that's behind it that like needs our care. And so if we're like turning away from the suffering, then we're also turning away from maybe a part of us that really needs us. So I love the idea of, so like we can use shame as an example, like for, I'll say personally, like shame for me was, I don't think it was, something so like unhelpful right it's not like a tumor necessarily i think that shame as i was taught it whether that was um the implicit shaming shame that i got from my dad not being there or let's say from the church was like shame can be a way to like modify your behavior to modify your thinking right like you are bad therefore stop being bad and so like to to sit with my shame long enough that it was telling me like, I don't want to be bad. I don't want you to be bad. So maybe a way that my shame was doing that was by telling me how bad I was and how flawed and irreparably broken I was, I kind of was able to go through and learn that like, okay, so my truth is that I, I don't want to be, my system doesn't want me to be bad, but the way in which I'm going about it is causing me so much pain. You know, the, the under like the message the implicit messaging all the time that I'm bad I'm flawed I'm something to be discarded was killing me but like clinically it's just I find that if you're with a protector long enough or you're with the suffering long enough you kind of get a through line to parts of the self that really need you that need like kind of the adult self the self that's con- like inherently so connected with something larger than ourselves whether that's the community or a higher power needs that Hey friends, Hannah here. I am jumping into these conversations around living centered and spirituality to talk to you about our living centered program. There are tons of reasons why the living centered program might be a good fit for you. You may be feeling stuck. You may be feeling burnt out. You may be feeling anxious or depressed. And you also just may be looking for some new direction in life. You may be thinking that there must be more and you're wanting to tap into your total potential. No matter your reasoning, we see all sorts of people attend the Living Centered program and experience the life change that happens there and come out the other side of it a more fuller version of themselves. All of our programs at OnSite really focus on your holistic healing. We know that mental health is just a piece of the equation. There's your physical health, there's your relational health, there's your spiritual health. And so that's what I wanted to talk to you about today. We at OnSite are faith inclusive, meaning we invite and celebrate all different belief systems. Whether you grew up in a faith tradition, you belong to one now, or you don't have one at all, the Living Centered Program gives an opportunity to reassess, reevaluate, and reconnect to your understanding of faith, belief, and a higher power. I personally did a Living Centered Program a couple years ago, and I came from a background where belief and faith was a big part of my upbringing. 
But as I got older, that part of my life no longer felt safe, inclusive, and life-giving. Instead, I was carrying around a lot of spiritual wounding. I had grown to kind of let that settle. I had found stability and just kind of let that part be diminished in my life. And so I went to the Living Centered program, not really thinking I would be entering into any sort of engagement with that side of my life. But what the Living Centered program did for me is it offered me a space to just explore, to reconnect and reclaim the parts that still felt healthy and helpful in my life, and to also say goodbye to the pieces that were no longer serving me, to the beliefs that no longer had a place in my life. It allowed me to heal some wounds I had from my spiritual past and also find hope in how I want to build a future. And my story is not unique. I've had the pleasure of talking to hundreds of people who have gone through this program, and no matter their faith or spiritual identity, they found that in the Living Centered program, they were allowed to be fully themselves and explore all parts of themselves and feel connected to something bigger than themselves, whether that's to a higher power, whether that's to nature, or whether that's to people. If you are looking to reclaim parts of yourself that maybe you feel like are lost, or maybe you're looking to heal wounds that are still weighing down your life, or maybe you're looking to explore a new spiritual side of you, the Living Center program could be a great fit for you. My hope is that anyone going through this program leaves emboldened and empowered in the direction they want to be headed. If you want to learn more about how the Living Centered program can support you in your spiritual journey, our team would love to connect with you on a confidential call to explore your options. You can find out more in the show notes, or you can connect with our team by calling 800-341-7432. Do you find with your clients like this particular area of life like needs a lot of tending to? I don't know if that is a common denominator, like... People have a hard time accessing their higher power or spirituality has looked like such a wounded place for them. Or I'm just like wondering what, how this shows up in your work and how maybe your experience and your story informs the way you show up in the room. I know so many of my friends and so many people like in my particular community struggle with this, partly because of where they come from and their, their prior context and wanting to find a new place to, and, and really like, I think to your point, almost thinking about it like a palate cleanser, like the sitting with is this thing that needs to, in many instances, happen in between the old and the new. And I would love to hear like your take on that. I think it's the first thing that com- that is coming up to mind is that it's such a mixed bag because I, I find that um, I have worked a lot with clients with spiritual wounds and the way the wound kind of infiltrates all parts of the self can feel so violent. So like, yeah, I have seen that. But also I see a lot of people where it it just isn't yet maybe a place of inquiry. And that also just feeling so okay that it it doesn't need to be. And um, my short answer seems to be such a mixed bag. I think in my personal experience, I, a couple of years ago, I'd been going through a faith transition for a while, but a couple of years ago, I had come to kind of a, a landing spot where I knew I wanted to not, that the faith I knew was no longer serving me and I wanted to understand what I wanted it to be in the future. And I had done a lot of work. I had been in therapy for a really long time and I was like, I'm going to get a spiritual advisor or what it was. Yeah, I think that's what her title is. But I was like, I'm going to get a spiritual coach. I need, I, I, I want to dive into this full time. I was like, I'm not avoiding it. I'm ready to do it. And I had one session with her and she broke up with me because she was like, hey, I actually think you need to not have a direction right now. Like, I think you need to not know the answer. Like, you've had an answer for your spiritual life your whole your whole life. And I think it's actually really okay if you're going to sit here without anything for a minute because— you want to find a new answer. You want the security and the safety of like, what's next? And like, while wow, that's a good earning, like yearning to have that, there's also so much to be explored that you're not going to be open to if you just jump into like how to find the new. And that was like, oh my gosh. so important for me. Yes. <laughs> like, like I came to you for help. What do I, what do I do with this? But I also, as you're saying <laughs> that I feel so much compassion and gratitude for that spirit. What a, what a wise thing to, to tell someone and and that yeah. not 
sounding like abandonment, just saying with the message, part of the message I heard and what you just said was that you you already have everything you need as it relates to Mm -hmm. a a spiritual practice or spiritual self. Maybe that there's some like unpacking or deconstructing to do of what isn't safe or what isn't part of your spiritual self or journey. Yeah. And I think that like in between time for me was really healing because I think at that point I was ready to like trash it all and move on to a different direction. And I think what that space allowed me to do was to say like, hey, what parts of this do I want to, do I want to say goodbye to? What parts of this do I want to recycle in a new way because I see some good in it, but it's not working right now. And then what parts of it do I want to carry forward? And so instead of saying like, this is all a wash, like I have a lot of spiritual wounding, but also some of that, what aspects do I like of it? What aspects felt safe to me? What aspects do I want to look for in another path? And I don't think I would have done that because I would have just said, this is all trash because it's really been painful. But like giving even that space, the emptiness, just to call it painful, not just to call it not good anymore, but to say, no, that really hurt me. And I don't want to do that anymore. But here's what I took from that that I do want to move forward with. I love the reconstruction journey being like, I love the metaphor of recycling, like that there's no bad parts. There's no thing that is so flawed that we can't use it. That feels like when I think about part of my wounding or maybe like a byproduct of my wounding or shame is my relationship with um, like control or anxiety and control and anxiety was something that was a force within me that, that didn't want me to suffer anymore. So if we can, my, if I was doubling the voice of my control or anxiety, it would be, what if we could think uh, and mind read what they're thinking about you and if we can mind read them enough, then we will know the ways in which they may abandon you. <laughs> or if we could think about the future and what may happen in the future enough, you could avoid all the ways in, in which you may be abandoned again and then, and then come in contact with how discardable you are. And so like to recycle, I love that concept. I've actually, I've never heard that. Like to recycle or give new a new operating system like to my anxiety would be like it sounds like it's really important for you to not to protect Caroline from hurt thank god someone is there protecting Caroline from that again she really she really needs continues to need that and i wonder what would be a new way like getting vulnerable and asking someone what they're thinking like, how would that, and what can we try, just like curiously, can we try that as a way in which we can protect ourselves? Mm. That's a really helpful tool to uh, double as a part of you. I know at OnSite, we do so much experiential work and uh, that can take a lot of different forms, but sometimes that can look like taking a perspective of a different, either a different person or a scenario or even a part of yourself. And I like, what was really powerful about observing that in you, Caroline, is that you had the answers for yourself. <laughs> like, and when we do like pull the thread and say like, I mean, my therapist does this to me all the time and I like half eye roll and half I'm so grateful she does it. Cause she's like, well, what is that trying to say? And then I was like, I'm trying to tell her that like, you know, like, and so when we can enter in from a different point of view, like we genuinely usually know what we are trying to say to ourselves when we actually slow down. So I love that tool. Like what a powerful tool to use in all areas of our life, not just spirituality. Mm-hmm. Caroline, when you you described how you were, your approach to life and spirituality as a little girl, it's like looking back, if someone, if the right person had come along, like obviously your mom was kind of tending to like stoking um, curiosity and compassioning you, but like if there were good leaders in your life to say, hey, like it's so great that you're asking questions, like and, and encourage that, I think, I wonder... It's hard to know this, right? But like some of that wounding could look a little different. Like we could reimagine what that would be like to, you're using that as a tool, right? Asking questions of yourself, of the things that exist in your body and and in your heart space. And I I just, it's encouraging to me as a parent to think like, okay, when my child has like a million questions, let's encourage that. What, What would it look like to come alongside that and not encourage finding the answer, right? Like you described so beautifully as we open this, like I actually don't. I'm not there. I think that's a great point to even expand on 
what spirituality is because I think we've kind of talked about this nebulously and I think people have ideas around what spirituality is versus what faith is versus what religion is. And Carolyn, can you kind of expand for us like how you view spirituality both in yourself and with people you work with? Um, I, like we, we at OnSite are um, faith inclusive, meaning we welcome and celebrate and invite all people of all belief systems to come engage with their own work. Um, and so the spiritual... Yes growth and or spiritual healing can look really different. And I think people kind of have ideas about what that looks like. But can you kind of give us like a peek behind the window of like what spirituality means to you and how you see it show up for people? Sure. Ooh, younger me is showing up and she's wanting to say that spirituality, what it felt like when I was younger, but still I carry this with me today is like spirituality is like magic. Like it's this, it's this thing that exists that feels or has the ability to make me feel so good, but it's also kind of formless and nameless and that's okay. So that's like younger me. She just wants to name that it, it feels like magic. And so then, but <laughs> integrating that as an adult, I would say that spirituality is anything that connects me like the force within my life that connects me to something greater than myself. So spirituality can feel like, I, I feel, in, and let me just say this, I feel inherently connected with my spiritual self when I'm out of onsite because of the, like the norms of the way, like the norms in which we engage with each other relationally at onsite. It always feels very safe. So like uh, a community of people, I think can feel very spiritual. I think that, yeah, I think that that that's like the main descriptor of what I would define spirituality as is just something greater than myself, something that connects me with something greater than myself. And a lot of the times that feels like it can be relationship. Sometimes it can feel like it's um, me being outside. Sometimes when I'm reading Buddhist texts and I learn about, ways in which to conduct myself that are compassionate that can feel inherently greater than myself. But it's like spirituality also doesn't feel like something that's greater than myself. And that means that I'm kind of like lowly and small. It kind of reminds me how I am also inherently connected with this larger thing that's greater than me. I love that. That's a really expansive invitation. I think um, as you were saying this, I'm noticing, you know, like Obviously, we're all bringing our full selves to this conversation, and, and a lot of my stuff is still really processing through spirituality, and a lot of my stuff is still feeling really wounded, and I haven't, like, fully, we never fully, but I'm, I'm still in a place of sometimes, like, I don't know, I'm pissed off or I'm hurt, and I think as you were describing it as a force, as magic, as connection, it really gave me permission to be like, oh, I have all of that, and what I label as, like, spiritual wounds is actually, like, hurt from people from a framework, like, that is not actually connected to the magic and the force. It is connected in my human brain because I experience them together. But like, because I've had harmful experiences or harmful conversations, doesn't negate that I still have that magic and that power and that connection within me. Like those can be separate. And so if I want to heal those woundings, those experiences, I can still have this power, this force, this magic, be safe and be a connection and a life source to me. And I'd love if we can dive into this a little bit, but we at OnSite, when people come to programs, we ask, we kind of partner with them, our therapist partner with them to pull on resources throughout the week. So we ask people to think about a person that is safe for them, that they can kind of imagine them to be with them when they're feeling stressed or anxious or overwhelmed or whatever. And then we ask for people to envision a place that feels safe to them. And then we also ask people to envision their higher power and what how that feels safe to them. And I would love if we could explore that together and talk about that process and kind of why we do that. Because uh, as someone who went through a program, I know I went through a program at a time of a lot of heightened kind of spiritual wounding. And that was like, when the, she was like, hey, you have to label your higher power now. I'm like, well, shit, I don't really like that. Like, that feels scary. Or like how I've always labeled it, I don't want to talk to that higher power anymore. That one doesn't feel good. And so 
kind of, can we talk about like resources, like, and having a higher power as a resource and kind of how we could expand what that actually means? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love, so it's like kind of ironic in the sense of resourcing at the beginning of an intensive or any sort of work at onsite or in my personal, in my private practice it's my it's some of my favorite work to do because it's like this such this beautiful through line for people to feel connected and safe and also it tends to be uh, one of the hardest elements of the work and I think more so when it comes to identifying potentially a higher power that can feel really hard but um, what we what what I try to do is that it's just start start really simple so if um, bringing higher power into the room feels a little bit too expansive, a little bit too unsafe, let's let's think about a time in your life where you felt connected and held. Is there a particular person or a place or even like a formless energy in which you felt that? So formless energy could be like the way that um, my grandma would uh, listen to me when I would come home and tell her about my day at school. And so, so like one in, in my, I actually thought about this the other day, I was contemplating like, so if I know that a relationship with a higher power will continue to help me in my relationship with control, like to be able to surrender my control to something greater than myself, because that would really help. I, I was watching, I love gardening. Gardening is my safe place. And so for a long time, my safe space that connected me to something greater than myself was my was just the memory of my grandma's garden. So if I was at onsite doing a program, I'd probably sculpt or bring into the room um, just my grandma's garden, all these beautiful flowers she had. And so then I was watching the other day this show. It's a it's a British show. And the host, her name is Carol Klein. And she is this, she has so much reverence from, for the plants in her garden and she's so excitable. And so I was like watching her kind of like tend to the plants in her garden. And I was thinking about like, oh, that feels like it would be a really safe relationship with a higher power. If I was like a plant in God's garden and um, God was so, knew me so well, knew my root systems, knew my bloom time, knew... Um, if I got sick, what I would need, and was just generally so excited that I was here. And so just like that part of me that is curious and creative kind of like gave me access to this idea of my higher power for today being Carol Klein, this like wonderful British gardener. But I was really taxing off of the qualities that she embodied. So I got to like formulate, if I deserve a higher power, what, Caroline, do you want it to look like? Because you get to make that decision now rather than someone tell you what it's going to be. That's so beautiful. I love the idea of thinking that every day it looks different, right? Like you, your higher power can look like exactly what you need in that moment. And that we have access to that. And that there's creative power there too, right? Like you actually get to use your call it spiritual imagination to envision like what God is to you on a particular day in a particular moment. I love thinking about God as Carol Klein. (laughs) It's like such a gift to me. I don't know what she looks like, but I'm imagining like a very elderly woman, which I really appreciate. Yeah. Just perfection. Perfection. A a perfect little British lady who wants to show you all her fox gloves. Yes. Amazing. Caroline, you alluded a little bit earlier to the presence of higher power in 12-step work and your work with that community. And I would love to hear just like, what does that look like? I don't know. My, my dad actually had worked in addiction recovery, so I've heard about this a lot, but I actually don't have feet on the ground, like a real understanding of what, what that looks like, what that access looks like, how that um, takes part in recovery work. And so I would just love to unpack that a little bit if you could share with us. Sure. So one of the byproducts of being raised in a family where abandonment was present, that abandonment wound left uncared for for so long resulted in a relationship with medicators that like continued to a point where it threatened, well, it's like, it's almost like it threatened to kill me literally, but also spiritually. And so in my own work, joining uh, ACA, Adult Children of Alcoholics, which is a 12-step program, 
part of the basis of the program is developing um, a relationship with something greater than ourselves. And what's was really beautiful about at least my understanding of the program was that so many of us come from a place of wounding with spirituality because what can happen too is that we um, can project our wounds that we have with our primary caregivers onto a higher power, right? So for me is that I have this wound that I am something to be discarded, that people that I rely on will leave. That got projected onto my relationship with God. So then me leaning into a higher power then became some, something inherently risky. It was another opportunity to be abandoned. So in 12-step programs, you know, you first have to kind of come to understand and maybe be willing to look at the ways our medicators are causing us harm and what feels like uh, synonymous with addiction is control just because there's so much pain present that I have to now control, attempt to control how much pain my body is experiencing. So 12-step programs like the antithesis, the antithesis of control is surrender and surrendering what, you know, what can we surrender to? We can surrender to a higher power. We can surrender to the 12-step teachings. We can surrender to a sponsor. And um, so, yeah, because like addiction or pain or shame can make us this island and so, like, when we are then an island, we are then responsible to control and fix everything ourselves. And that can lead to, like, a sense of spiritual death, if not literal. So then, yeah, like, asking for, learning how to ask for help in a 12-step program is really beautiful. So at first, if it doesn't feel comfortable to ask for help from a higher power, practice it in the community. And then so like gradually kind of like resource enough that potentially like asking, um, relinquishing or surrendering control or your pain to something greater than yourself, like a higher power becomes way more tolerable. I see that play out a lot in, even though onsite is not a 12 step program at all, I see the power of that kind of same process of surrender and the power of other people in that process with you play out all the time on our campus and our group rooms again, even one-on-one -on -one with intensives and our therapists. Can you speak to a little bit like the role or how you see relationships play in spirituality? I think we often think of spirituality as kind of like our individual experience with things. And some of that is, is true, but like it, there's also a lot to be said about spirituality with people. Yeah, man, I um, one of the things when I was like journaling before this um, podcast, I was thinking about relation. This is one of the earliest things that I think my mom taught me and still to me is that like relationships really are a way in which we can like develop our consciousness because of all of the things that it brings up. It brings up like how inherently connected and inter interdependent we are. And then conversely, relationship holds our deepest wounds so i think that yeah relationship maybe like even from like an attachment-based lens like relationship is an opportunity for me to see my true nature and so like when i'm working with you guys is a really beautiful example it's like just at the beginning of this podcast the way that you were naming how like uh, i i I'm your favorite, I'm one of your favorite therapists is like, I, I make you feel good. Uh, you like the things that I have to say. I get to like, I have an opportunity there to hold that. And if my shame gets a hold of that first, it'll try to disprove all the ways that it's not true. But um, if I can sit with it long enough, I can, I get this like beautiful mirror. I'm holding my hands in like a cup shape. <laughs> like I get to hold how this actually may be true about me. And then I get a glimpse into my true nature, like then true nature being what is not anything that, that my shame doesn't tell me I am. Mm. So beautiful. Thinking about relationship as a mirror. That's like such a profound, I'm going to take that image with me for the rest of the day. I really do think that to your point, there is 
an opportunity or a decision to make what we want to hold. Like, do we want to hold shame or do we want to hold like what is maybe perhaps true about us? And I love, we guys shared a little bit earlier about shame as a teacher. And I personally, my relationship with shame is that it never, I would never want to think about it as a teacher. And as I have been doing my own work, realizing that it does have a lot to teach me, but I still have the capacity to make a decision, like how much I want to let it. Well, I think I don't want to let it drive the car, right? I think we talk about that, like, does it, it gets a seat at the table, but it's not in charge. And I love just even what you're saying, like, okay, it's here. (laughs) It's here. And how do I want to engage with it? I'm really grateful for that, that image, Caroline. Thank you. Yeah, I think that kind of goes back to what we were talking about suffering. Like if we don't ignore it, like, that's still a part of ourself that needs tending to, you know? And like if our shame, when we lift behind it, it's like, what is it telling us? And so I love Carlos talks a lot about shame and he's taught our, our class on shame. And, and that really reframed it for me too. Cause I think I thought like, there's no room at the table for this. And it's like, the reality is like, it's a part of this, this, I, I can do a lot of healing work and it's still a part of my pieces. And so, but I don't get to let it, yeah, call the shots anymore. And we get to like resize it and right size it into the appropriate language as a teacher and as a tool and as something that's just like begging for my attention, like saying like, hey, you really need to pay attention to this or hey, I really need some truth in this. And I think that's where we get to decide like what mirror we're holding up, either as we're talking to ourselves or as other people, as we're connecting with community, like I, I loved the idea of holding up a mirror. And then in my brain, I immediately thought of like fun house mirrors, how like so often we should be holding up a regular mirror. And then it's like the weird fun house mirrors that make you look all like stretched out or like really wide. And like, that's like what we so often like voluntarily pick up, which is like not, there's no, there's no room for that anymore. I don't think. Well, and to like this idea of relationship, maybe getting me in touch with my spiritual self, like when you just kind of going off the reference, I was just using Hannah with the way you were affirming me is like to then like get to experience personally what it feels like to be seen by someone and to be held like literally in a human relationship. Then I get to be curious about like, so this feels really good in like literal human relationship. I wonder if there is a possibility in which something greater than myself, like whatever form it takes, masculine, feminine, anywhere in between someone in, in uh, one of the programs I work is their, their higher power is like a panda bear because that is what's safe. I think that like when you model compassion for me, it also gives me an opportunity to like experience the felt, the felt experience of, a higher power giving that to me as well. Mm. Like it's a reflection of the bigger, right? I think like in those moments where something feels really, really good, like this is maybe perhaps an echo of something else. I think I think about that in uh, by way of like, I don't know if you guys have heard the, the term thin places. Like when we are walking through life in those moments where you're, you're describing like, oh, that felt really good. That felt really like real and true. It's sort of like, whatever is, right, the big, the macro, the higher power. It's like we get that closer access to it. And I, I love like marking those moments. And and I, um, yeah, like you described one as Carol Klein. Like I have one that's like just this perfectly set dinner table. It's a little messy, but it's like a really good sound of laughter and the light is just right. And I I call upon that moment a lot when, I'm, when I feel hopeless, especially, especially this past week, I think, uh, hope has been hard for me to access. And I think hope hope dovetails nicely into like spiritual conversation, obviously, because I think sometimes it's hard to find. And I think hope is like an echo of, of the greater, of the outside of me. Um, and this week's been particularly challenging for many of us, and I've had a hard time accessing that. But laughter has been the thing that's gotten me through it. And obviously, you know, I, I'm not like tapping into tons of laughter every day, but I am reminded of that dinner, that dinner table set with like the chorus of laughter of my dear friends and feeling held and feeling loved and the lights just right. And like, it's so thin, like whatever I'm so close to <laughs> something bigger, you know, what y'all were talking about, even like someone identifying, you know, you, you thinking about 
Carol Klein, is that her name? And Nicole, you thinking about a space. And and that's not to diminish if you have a belief of a God as a figure. Like that's still good and right to identify with that too. But I, I was reminded, uh, I wrote down a quote, and I don't even know who said it. So I'm going to have to Google it and put it in the show notes. But I wrote it down like on a walk I was on years ago. And someone had said, I was listening to a podcast, and they said, if the concept of God has any validity or any use, it can only be to make us larger, freer, and more loving. And if God cannot do this, then it's time we got rid of him. And that was like a really freeing quote for me to say like, it can change and it can still be good. Like maybe my relationship with it needs to change or my understanding of it needs to change or altogether I need to call it something else right now. But that, like what you were saying, both of you with Carol Klein and the table and the panda and God as a figure, all of those things, if they bring safety and hope and connection and they make us feel loved and held, like that's what a higher power is for. And that's what a higher power serves as a purpose in our healing. Because yeah, our higher power, however you would label it, would want good for you, you know? That's right. That's right. I know we're getting to the end of our conversation, but I think I'd love to wrap up on, you know, we've talked a lot about spiritual wounding and we've talked a lot about kind of like the trudging through of some of those things. And I'd love to end our time of like, what's out there for us when we do tap into spirituality, when we see it as a resource, when we decide we want to heal, to engage. I know so much of, uh, so many people come to onsite because they do have some of that spiritual wounding they want to heal, but a lot of people come because they're spiritually in a really good place and they just want to continue to pursue that or they want to expand it or they want to engage with it in a new way or they want to integrate it into other parts of their lives. So maybe we could just talk for a minute as we round out, just like, why? Why do this type of work? Why engage with the spiritual side of ourselves? What's on the table for us when we do? Mm. Maybe we can talk about that and then some hows of like how, what are some ways, some creative ways in which we could connect. But the the first thing that came to mind is like, because you deserve it. You deserve to feel connected to something greater than yourself. You deserve relief from suffering. And I think connecting with something greater than ourselves in the form of a spiritual practice and ethical practice relationships is, is such a through line of how to get there. So I, I have some ideas of like ways in which one could like some, some practices that they could engage in to like fortify the spiritual self. If you guys are interested. Let's do it. Yeah, we welcome that. Yes. So the, one of the main ones would be like any form of a stillness practice. So like prayer um, and everyone, I think for everyone, prayer looks so different, but just having a conversation, uh, attempting to have a conversation with something greater than themselves is how you could do that. How I like a stillness practice is, is in the form of meditation. So sitting with myself and kind of being with and caring for the churnings of the mind. So that's one. So like a stillness practice. Stillness practice could also be uh, walking out in the woods. I think nature is like such a such an incredible way to be connected with something greater than ourselves. I was also thinking about, so like what what's a way in which relation, in, in relationship that we could pra- have a spiritual practice? And I was thinking about like, what what if like, setting an intention maybe on a day where we like wake up on the right side of the bed may give us like our um maybe the easiest way start. to do it. <laughs> yeah it's a great start so like waking up on the right side of the bed and making a commitment to uh with three people in your life and maybe not like three people that you are particularly like irritated with or that bring you bring about a lot of suffering like like a high risk relationship but three people in your life where it could be at work it could be at the grocery store but just like three things about them or the way in which they engage with you where you like come in contact with their inner nobility so like inner nobility being their inner goodness their inherent worth so like oh the way they brought me that like paper from the printer was was very thoughtful the way in which I watched them have a conversation with someone and really intently listening 
And so that like that kind of feels like a cool way to connect with uh, spirituality, like in our relationships. And then the third thing I was thinking that I, I like to I like to do in my personal practice is I will journal. I'll start with just like one sentence that is either a statement or a question. And it's kind of like a statement or a question that describes or is naming a way that I'm suffering that day. So like, t- yeah, today I'm feeling really stressed because of the, the nature of what's going on in our community. And then journaling from the perspective of my higher power, as if like my higher power had something, if I'm inherently connected with my higher power, journaling as a way to um, kind of like refine the connection with it. Those are so practical and helpful and uh, I'm excited to implement them in my life. Thank you so much, Caroline. I so appreciate your, just your honesty and your vulnerability and your like, you just feel like someone who is in real time, like ready to, to self edit, even if you're like, cause you want to say the truest thing that you know. And I just really like, I feel that from you and I appreciate that. And I know our listeners are going to appreciate that. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.